Welcome back. This is the second hour of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett doing the live show every Friday evening, same time, same channel. And you can find the show at my Substack, which is kevinbarrett.substack.com. You can find your way there by way of my website, truthjihad.com. Or you can always listen to the shows over at the Uns Review or at No Lies Radio. UNZ.com is, is that short URL. And then there's nolasradio.org as well. So let's get going with the second hour here. I haven't talked to Sander Hicks for a while. Sander is one of my longtime colleagues in the 9-11 truth movement. And we've been through all kinds of stuff over the past 15 years or so, including a trip or two, I guess one trip to Iran. And our friends over in Iran have been, well, uh, a couple of them, are facing, you know, well, one is gone. Nader Talabzada passed away. Uh, he thought he might have been targeted by somebody in the axis of good or the self-styled axis of good, I guess. Anyway, he passed away a couple of months ago. It's a real serious loss to everybody interested. Hi, in this is Sander Hicks. I am the founder and the head and, uh, operator hey, hi, at Zen Space Makers Incorporated, the best yeah, company in the world. We're going to have to break through uh, Sander's uh, voicemail stuff. But but anyway, yeah, Sander was over there in Iran with me in 2018, the last time we got to see Nader Talabzadeh. And we also got to meet Alexander Dugan. And now, of course, he was targeted for assassination, and his daughter ended up dying in a car bomb uh, this last week. So hoping to talk to Sander about that. Uh, we were going to another New Horizon conference when was that, a couple of years ago when the FBI then started calling people saying that we would all be arrested if we tried to go to that conference. They would arrest us as we got off the airplane on the way back. So, yeah, that did discourage us from uh, attending. I don't think any Americans actually did attend that particular conference. We thought about doing a mass civil disobedience and then figured that it probably uh, wasn't. Hi, this is Sander Hicks. I am the founder and the head his, uh, operator at Zen Space Makers uh, Incorporated, the best Skype. company in the world. And I'm so glad that you called me. Please do send me a text. That's the best way to contact send, me immediately. Email, uh, my voicemail sometimes gets full. Uh, Skype appears to be going to voice message. Your Skype is going to voicemail. And uh, what number should we call? see what happens here. Okay, well, well, we'll see if we can get Sander up here ASAP. He did have a very interesting uh, brush with another uh, 15 minutes of fame was it two weeks ago, I guess, when the Jewish Daily Forward attacked him for endorsing a uh, candidate in a House of Representatives race. That is Yu Lin Niu who is apparently a Taiwanese-American running for office, and Sander endorsed her. And then the Jewish Daily Forward put out this hit piece against Sander trying to smear this candidate, Yu Lin Yu. They probably don't like her because she's sort of mildly pro-Palestinian. And so they attacked her by pointing out that Sander Hicks, a notorious 9-11 truth guy who's talked about Israel's role in 9-11, was endorsing her. And uh, Sander uh, apparently was kind of embarrassed by that. And hopefully we'll get him on here to talk about it in a little bit, if we can figure out a way. I just uh, just emailed him about his, uh, his Skype uh, apparently not working. And apparently his backup phones don't work either. We do have uh, – maybe I can find more backup phones for Sander here to try. And uh, let's see here. 
Here, here are the three Sander Hicks phone numbers I have, and I'm going to send them to Mr. Rowe, our trusty producer, and uh, hopefully something here might work. And if it doesn't, I don't know, I might have to uh, talk to Mr. Rowe about something, which is always fun, too. But we, we, we should be able to get Sander here. I can't believe that his, uh, his Skype is totally down. seems like Skype is getting more and more difficult. Uh, to rely on, and I, I always do blame Bill Gates for that. Well, uh, in terms of the content I was going to talk about with Sandra Hicks, I was hoping to discuss the New Horizon stuff, the uh, attempted hit on Alexander Dugan and murder of Daria Dugan, and uh, also, of course, his getting attacked by the Jewish Daily Forward. Uh, hey, I'm here. Hey, Sandra, you're here. How did we finally miraculously reach you? Well, Kevin, to be frank, I haven't used Skype in like five years, and uh, I, I, um, it took me a little while. So, um, Hey, well, congratulations on getting it up and running. Now, we don't. you can turn off your video uh, because that's just going to steal bandwidth from our purely audio radio show. Right. Uh, and, uh, of course, you're still uh, good enough looking that video wouldn't uh, completely ruin it. I don't know how you do it, Sander. You're you're getting old too, just like the rest of us. <laughs> you know, you don't look at as much. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. I just saw you on Press TV there talking about the uh, atrocious shutting down of human rights groups in Palestine, and so I I was like, sometimes I think you you do look really old, Kevin. But the, recently, <laughs> recently, Kevin, you didn't look super old, uh, at least not this week. So so the compliment is right back at you. Well, I keep, I keep just saying the, the same old, 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 old thing over and over and over. 9-11 truth, 9-11 truth, you know, <laughs> uh, save Palestine, this kind of stuff. Oh, well. Well, there's uh, got to be a new, you got to find a new way to say it, Kevin. you got to find a new way to get it in sideways. Maybe so. Yeah, the definition of insanity is, is saying the same thing over and over again. Exactly. Expecting a different result. Exactly. Oh, exactly. I don't uh, want to be a one-trick pony. Yeah. So well, you we never really talk, have been. I hope we can talk about personal growth. Yeah, maybe we can. Uh, you know, I, I did sort of promise the listeners that we would talk about you getting smeared by the forward. Yeah, let's dive right into that, because okay. I know that was right up. I, I, I contacted you and I was like, this is right up your alley. You got to check this out. I'm jealous. Usually I'm the one getting smeared by the forward and the ADL <laughs> and so on. Yeah. Well, you know, I've done a lot of work on myself in the last, uh, you know, five years or so. And um I'm I'm I don't want to be the kind of uh, person who 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 just says stuff to get people to shut down or, um, you know, get their hackles up and, and run away or, you know, I, I, I believe in dialogue. I believe in nonviolence and I believe in engagement. And so um, if you say words like BDS or um, even DSA, if I said I'm in the DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, and oh, by the way, we, did you know that we support BDS, which is uh, most people are like, what's BDS? What's BDSA? But, you know, if you say DS, uh, BDS is the, uh, the movement um, to support the boycott, divestment and sanctioning of the apartheid state of Israel and, and as a way to advocate for human rights in Palestine. It's not an anti-Jew or anti-Israel. Well, it's anti, um, you could say it's anti-Likudnik, it's anti-militarist, um, it's um, 
it is a step towards an anti-Zionist foreign policy, you know, in which uh, the human rights of Palestinians are held in equal regard to the human rights of uh, all peoples, including uh, the, the Jewish people. So, um, so if you say BDS, a lot of times people just shut down and they they uh, they they start looking at you sideways and they they start looking for ways to. Um, Wonder if you're an anti-Semite. Wonder if you are. Uh, do you hate Jews? Um, because it's so rare that anybody uh, supports BDS in this country, or uh, you know, or takes a stand for Palestine. And I was really surprised. I, I joined the DSA to get more active in a broader set of politics, and not just anti-Zionism, you know, and not just 9/11 Truth, God forbid, you know, trying to expand. And then I was like, oh, the DSA. At their last convention, they actually they took a vote and they decided to support BDS. I'm like, wow, I'm 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 totally there. And I think around that same time, uh, or right before that time, you know, you and I went to Mashhad, the holy city, and conferences in Iran, and my my own anti-Zionist, pro-peace politics deepened. So I don't know. I'm giving you a lot of background, but I haven't actually told you the story recently. So I'm I'm elected to the Democratic Party County Committee, and I decided to endorse a local progressive candidate um, named Uline New. And one of the reasons I did that is because I Googled her, and I realized that she was really unique. She she also supported BDS, um, which is rare for a a kind of mainstream Democrat running in a big big race here. There's an open seat. Um, it was Congressional District 10. Well, we just had major new redistricting in Manhattan and Brooklyn. And um, it was a very competitive race. A lot of qualified candidates um, ran. And I took a keen interest in it. I, I, I um, uh, you know, having been a congressional candidate myself uh, in the past, so I took a keen interest in it. And now that I'm on the, the Brooklyn Democratic Party County Committee, and struggled hard to make that relevant and make it mean something and make uh, and and get reelected. Um, I decided to kind of throw my weight around and endorse Uline New, um, this this progressive candidate. She had also been endorsed by Working Families Parties and was a super progressive on other issues, anti-poverty activist, um, uh, Green New Deal, really an advocate for the Green New Deal in all single, the single payer, single payer health care. I saw that. Oh, great. You saw that, too. Good. You did your homework on her. Good. Yeah. I, 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 I was the world's only libertarian for single payer health care. Uh, Stick your neck out. You might need it. Yeah, good. Um, as we get older, Kevin, we're going to need more health care. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where even, even though, you know, in some ways I admit that the libertarian heuristic is largely right and everything should be voluntary in terms of you know fixing what's messed up right now. Sometimes you just need to do what works. And it's just yeah. obvious that single payer works better than this insane you know, in, insurance industry financier led system that we have here. Good. Well, I'll tell you a funny story about the first time I met Uline New. Um, she said about working in Albany and I said, Oh, you have a job in Albany. And she was like, I'm an elected official. I'm an as assembly member. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't know that. So she was already a, a um, this, and she already is a New York state assembly member, um, which is the preferred title. A lot of female um, electeds don't really like assembly woman. My friend, Marcella Matanias is an assembly member and she, um, uh, said I said, what do you like? Do you like assemblywoman or assembly member? So she said, assembly member. 
So um, with our recent obsession with gender, that kind of makes sense. So yeah, but that would be that's politically incorrect too, Sandra, because the word member is associated with part of the masculine anatomy. Except we're not allowed to notice that there's. Is a it wait no? Is it etymologically true that the member is the um, male member? Right. The male member, when you use it in that usage, I don't know. I, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Maybe <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that if we have time okay. to go up the flagpole on that one. But um, <laughs> that's another okay. Freudian slip. I'm upset. Yeah, yeah. I have to say to start recording this conversation. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Blackmailed. <laughs> yeah. anyway, if, that's the, if that's the worst they get on us, you know, we're probably doing pretty well. I know. I just was um, reading other of your colleagues on the UNS review to try to get up to speed on your colleagues, such as the rascal E. Michael Jones, but, um, <laughs> one of my favorite rascals. Uh, let's not go down that rabbit hole yet. But so, <laughs> so this is what happened. I just, I still have a pretty good email list and, um, active in my community. So I printed up a little newsletter and, and handed it out and then emailed it around and put it on the New York Megaphone website, which is my web, my news reporting website, newyorkmegaphone.com, um, in which you can see my detailed um, endorsement. And then lo and behold, I mean, I usually get totally ignored by um, the, the media unless I'm making the media myself. But um, and that's OK. I mean, these days I'm not really trying to run for Congress. I'm not running a publishing company. I'm just working as a contractor and a carpenter. So I'm not really used to even getting media or trying to get media, but um, things happen very quickly. I was attacked in the forward, um, which is a newspaper and website that is a nonprofit. So they don't technically take political positions. They said they're not pro or anti-BDS, but if you read between the lines, the way they attacked Uline New and myself, um, it seemed that they were keen to divide, um, put a division between us, because they pulled out a lot of stuff uh, from my previous book of 11 years ago called Slingshot to the Juggernaut, in which I talk about is Israeli dual citizens and uh, uh, Elliot Spitzer and... Um, and I was clear in that book that I wasn't an anti-Semite and felt good about my history of working against uh, fascism and anti-Semitism. But with 9-11, uh, I was getting into looking critically at the uh, high amount of neocons that were uh, sympathetic to Israel, that were Christian Zionists, that were almost uh, extremely, so extremely pro-Israel, they were more pro-Israel than your average Jewish Zionist. And I'm talking about evangelicals and neocons and uh, as a way to make sense of... Uh, wait, 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 Sandra. The neocons are mostly ethnically Jewish. Like, PNAC is all Jews except for that Gary, what's his name, that they made their kind of token goy or Sabbath goy leader. Well, PNAC is not the only neocon group. So I'm talking about Bush and Cheney, two goys that were in the driving driver's seat or the figureheads between, uh, at, at the top of the war on terror, the, uh, the invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan, killing about 1.5 million people, some maybe more. And um, but, 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 but Sandra, uh, Bush and Cheney are the uh, the gentlemen. And and the peanut guys like Wolfowitz with at least 50, if not 100 points IQ on them, are the philosophers who manipulate them, according to the philosophy of Leo Strauss. 
And Leo Strauss was pretty clear that he was most, he wasn't just teaching Jews, but he, there was definitely a, a connection uh, between, um, well, his, let, let's just say neoconservatism is clearly a Jewish intellectual movement. Well, that remains to be seen. I, um, I, you know, I studied it and wrote, wrote about it even in my previous book, The Big Wedding, and it talked about um, Pifiab, the president's foreign intelligence advisory board, and Team B, and the, the, the nefarious doings of Cheney, who wasn't just a figurehead, but was really working behind the scenes, even in the Ford administration, trying to create a, a propaganda vehicle in 1976 to um, augment public fear about a Soviet military buildup in order to goose up U.S. defense spending. And that, to me, he was working hand-in-hand with Donald Rumsfeld, too, uh, inside the Ford administration. And that, to me, was um, that's pure naked political power from American neoconservatives, you know, found the foundational figures in the the late 20th century neoconservative movement, um, neither of which are Jewish, but are extremely powerful and extremely relevant to the history of 9-11 because they did it in 1976 and they did it in 2001. They created a um, an illusion. They created a giant complex illusion. And so anyway, when I wrote Slingshot to the Juggernaut, I was definitely influenced by rascals like yourself and other people <laughs> who um, who said, you know, don't become an anti-Semite, but become more critical of Israel and become or invited me to be, to look at global power and look at um, the way Israel and Saudi Arabia and the American CIA or deep state or um, ne- just nefarious um, and, and still somewhat mysterious and murky uh, uh, forces inside the United States uh, worked with 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 forces internationally in Israel, Saudi Arabia, other countries too, Pakistan, um, uh, played a role to, to pull off 9-11. And, uh, and so anyway, so the foreword um, took a few quotes from my book, but it's, it was clear the guy didn't have a copy. He just found the table of contents somewhere and uh, kind of gleaned a few um you know, it just it, it was kind of sloppy reporting. So he's too cheap to even like buy a, a yeah. copy on Amazon. And, and well, <laughs> I don't want to indulge in an anti-Jewish stereotype, but I think he was on a reporter under a deadline. But he seemed to know a lot about me, so maybe he he knew about me from the past. Maybe he had a copy. You know, he probably I don't know. Um, his name is somewhat familiar to me. His name Jacob Cornblue. So um, I think I've seen his stuff, and he seems to be sort of you know a like a if not an attack dog or, you know, sort of a thought police guy who does these types of things there at the forward. The forward has a, you know, it's not monolithic. There are some, you know, occasionally, uh, you know, some more balanced things at the forward. But but I think this guy, I think I've seen him do this kind of thing before. Well, yeah, I, um, we should, we, we should Google him and we should know what we're talking about more. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so what was really lousy uh, by his first the first draft of the report that was up online, um, they didn't contact me. They didn't ask me for a quote. They didn't ask me to retort, but they just basically said um, the headline was conspiracy theorist who alleged Israel was involved in 9-11 endorses new for Congress. So 
Uline knew, saw that headline and saw the, 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 the article in the foreword and she panicked and she said that I condemn anti-Semitism in whatever form. And I never asked for Sander Hicks's endorsement. And I did not solicit it. And I reject Sander Hicks's endorsement. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I reject and I spit on Sander Hicks. Yeah, exactly. I, I will be burning him in effigy. And I, again, I mean, she, I have empathy for what it's like to run for Congress. Um, the um, I'm trying to complain less about the world and be always in action and be a, a person of action, a person creating with my words, creating with language and not complaining because I complain too much. So um, upon reflection, with the merciful part of me, I, I have come to step away from condemnation and judgment and more into like, well, she was... Um, uh, either panicked uh, or maybe her quotation came from her campaign manager. Her campaign manager is not a super Bernie Sanders progressive. Her campaign manager is actually more of a Hillary Clinton um, staffer. So, um, and this guy also emailed me. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was weird. And I think that's like a, probably a marriage made in hell that to have like a super progressive candidate being managed by a more corporate Democrats, type. I, well, I they, maybe a lot of them are actually. It sort of looks that way to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. That's probably more often than not. We uh, Bernie Sanders Democrats are probably a rare, rare bird. And, and he, even Bernie is kind of I, I don't think he has right. a killer don't, 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 don't complain about every single Jewish person. Yeah. I, I, oh, I, actually, yeah, I voted for Bernie. He's one of a couple of Jews that I've uh, voted for for president. So Listen, if we go down every single rabbit hole that you want to, I'm never going to finish the story. Okay, so finish the story. Damn it. Okay. Darn it. Okay. Um, well, the story is almost done. But um, the uh, – and what I what, – one of the things I did right is I didn't respond right away. And um, – but I responded twice. And the the first time – I um, I took I think I responded in like 24 hours and I talked to my friend um, Sophie who's a, kind of a new friend and she gave me a lot of good advice um, and I wrote a response um, and I decided not to go down the 9/11 rabbit hole too much um, uh, I decided to kind of lead off with trying to say to this guy Jacob Cornblue hey listen you don't really know me you didn't Ask me, you didn't make me a part of your story, but you're just kind of condemned me. Uh, I'm actually the New Yorker who wrote two books of investigative journalism about the war on terror, 9-11 research. You know, I got a commendation from the state Senate of Louisiana for investigating a death of Dr. David Graham, who was a 9-11 whistleblower. Um, so and I said to him, listen, yeah, I support BDS, but I don't do it because I hate the Jews. I do it because I, I want there to be peace for the Jews and the Palestinians in the Middle East, peace for all peoples. And it's going to be tough, but we need to do the work. And um, and in a later, longer open letter to the forward that I put up at the New York Megaphone dot com, I said um, I said more about this. I said, you know, to really get to peace in the Middle East, it's going to be it's going to be massive. It's going to take such integrity of character. It's going to take a Gandhi level effort 
you know, um, it's spiritual, it's political, it's fasting, it's giving it all up, giving it all away, giving, you know, trying to work on reducing the, the ego and, um, but that's that's what it's really going to take. This is something I said in the long, longer version. I think you might might like this, Kevin, because I think you're still a spiritual guy. I said we owe it to God to attempt to do the impossible. We owe it to God to make it possible, to declare to declare it possible. And that includes peace in the Middle East. And uh, amen. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know where I got this, but it just felt like it felt like, yeah, you know, I should say that, you know, I've been doing some work, too, in inside the spiritual side of DSA, uh, which is a, a religious socialist group. Um, and uh, and I just kind of like, you know, doing some writing around um, associating mass movements with spiritual movements, looking at overlap between movements like Poor People's Campaign or the original Civil Rights Campaign and. You know, how the, how movements that combine spirituality with the, the hunger for social change actually become unstoppable. Look at Cesar Chavez and the, the United Farm Workers in California. They were incorporating rituals of Lent and, and the, the fasting of Lent, and they were incorporating that into their um, their marches. And, uh, you know, and so it's it's like. We are not just cerebral beings. We are spiritual beings, and we vibrate to these spiritual and frequencies. It's almost like a different, you know, it's like the way a dog can only hear a dog whistle. We resonate to ideas of the mystical, the supernatural. What do I really mean? I mean, I'm talking about the higher power, you know, God, however you define God and um, holy be his name or her name. So that's sort of somewhere where some of the writing went in, in this. And I, um, in my response to the foreword, I published it as an open letter and, and um, I didn't, um, I, first of all, they took the first response which was a shorter letter, and they cut it up and they used some excerpts of it. So they updated their piece, which was a victory, a great victory and a great peace uh, gesture on their part um, because it wasn't – my screen keeps on just going to screensaver mode. You can still hear me? Uh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're oh, great. through loud and clear. Okay, great. I don't want my computer to shut down, but um, – the forward published, um, you know, some some of my original first draft, um, but I did slip in a little reference to the five Israeli spies, <laughs> very Ooh. obliquely, very obliquely, yeah. Because Sophie was saying, you know, take 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 um, uh, take all the 9/11 stuff out of it, make it all just about peace in the Middle East, and so. And then I woke up the next morning and I was like. I can't let her take all of it out. I got to at least have a respectable, quick little elbow jerk of a mention of the five Israeli spies. You're talking about the dancing Israelis. Yes. Well, dancing, I'm not sure if they were dancing. But yeah, they were high-fiving and celebrating. Yeah, high-fibers, yeah. it was definitely a term the FBI used. Yeah, that's a good good catch there on my part because not that I'm patting myself on the back, but it's just, just like taking a dive into the five Israeli spies – 
Um, one thing we do know for certain is that two of them were spies for certain because they were in the CIA's international counterintelligence, counterintelligence database. This is also something I know from the Shea memo, which is something people should know about. The Shea memo was a, uh, a U.S. international U.S. citizen, I think, international lawyer uh, who want, was was um, alarmed at the high fibers and also uh, uh, Mossad infiltration of DEA, which the DEA even published a report about in June of 2001. So um, those are also interesting things of interest. So, um, so you actually got the, the high fibers, a.k.a. dancing Israelis mentioned in a letter to the forward? No, they cut that out. No. They, they, um, my letter was just incorporated into the article, and the, the victories were they, they, you know, they quoted me about peace in the Middle East. You mean, you know, Senator, I, I think they actually did. They published an article about. No, this is way, yeah, yeah, this is, this is, yeah, I know you're, you're, you're don't step on my punchline because you're gonna okay. love this. In this, in the larger version, I urge people to go see, in my own words, the unedited larger version of this letter, open letter to the forward, which I just just decided to publish myself on NewYorkMegaphone.com, so they they couldn't cut it up. But I also said that, uh, you know, after further researching uh, or refreshing my research of the five high fibers, and for those who don't know, who are your listeners who don't know, um, they're, they're, some of the very first people arrested on 9-11, uh, for 9-11, were on 9-11, on the, the afternoon of 9-11, five Israeli citizens that were celebrating the attacks um, and were arrested, arrested by New Jersey police and then held by FBI. And they were upgraded to the FBI counterintelligence division because they were suspected of being an Israeli intelligence operation. So in my letter, I was able to say, hey, ABC News still has a great story on this. The link is here. And the forward itself did excellent breakthrough reporting on this. I commend you for it. And then I, I kind of laid a zinger on on them, I said, I urge you to review your own reporting about the five Israelis arrested on 9-11 before you skim or scan the table of contents of my last book and accuse me of being an anti-Semite. Because uh-huh. they're like, you're right, Kevin, their own reporting on the, the, the uh, they were the ones that actually, I think, uh, according to their own sources, verified that two of the five Israelis were actual spies. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually one of the you know cases. I, I think that was one of the best pieces of mainstream reporting on that issue. And it's funny how the official line has become to deny that these five high fivers or dancing Israelis ever existed, because you know there it's the forward. There's the forward. There's uh, ABC. There's Fox. Carl Cameron. There's uh, Ketch, Christopher Ketchum's articles, and on and on and on. There's all sorts of very solid documentation on this. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Also, my colleague here in New York is a guy named Adam Fitzgerald. I know him from the what remains of the 9-11 truth circles. And if you ever need a transcript of all the New Jersey police records and FBI records, he did a lot of FOIAs and he he got uh, a great uh, download of documents. And so um, it's Adam Fitzgerald's blog where I was able to to see that, oh, yeah, there is a transcript of of police uh, records. And you can also, if you Google this, you'll see a lot of people online will just say, oh, that's a hoax. You know, there is a lot of pressure to to shame people away from, you know, saying, 
isn't this a huge story? Didn't the corporate media totally whiff on this or how, how could they whiff on a, such a huge story? The fir- very first people arrested on 9-11 for 9-11. Um, you know, how could this story um, yeah, it's not an. It just doesn't seem like an accident. You know, something that as as hot as the U.S. Israeli relationship does seem to always get special treatment. And um, and yeah, and, um, so, so I mean, so, so so yeah, you you should send me the URLs to the forward published version of your response, and then to your full length response in the New York Megaphone, and I will post those at the radio show blog, which people will be able to find by going to truthjihad.com and clicking on the radio show link. Good. All right. So I have some questions for you. Like, are you, why not do a live stream of this show on YouTube while you do your radio show? Well, you know, for one thing, YouTube has become, let us say, problematic for me. Uh, I've gotten strikes on YouTube repeatedly I've gotten up to two strikes and that, you know, which means one more strike and they nuke the entire channel of 10,000 plus hours of stuff going back way back. So I'm using YouTube a lot more sparingly these days. Uh, and so this particular show that you're on right now is of course my live radio show on revolution.radio. It's audio only. I also do some video work such as false flag weekly news. And actually I want to have you on false flag weekly news as a commentator one of these days and that's on Saturday mornings, and that does get live streamed, but it's live streamed onto Rumble rather than YouTube because YouTube does, is not a free speech forum anymore. For instance, Sandra, I can't put I, this whole week. I haven't been able to put up any YouTube videos because I just got a random strike alleging that uh, a year and a half ago I had a false flag weekly news show posted that supposedly contained somebody questioning the integrity of the results of the 2020 election. In fact, that's not true. That particular show did not include any such questioning, but that's just typical of YouTube's gaslighting in in their bizarre, completely irrational approach to censorship. So we really can't do very much honest uh, stuff on YouTube these days. I just put up my press TV interviews there, hoping that most of that will will pass muster. Um, but yeah, we I can live stream on Rumble uh, for False Flag Weekly News, and and you should come on with me sometime. Can you get like a super chat on Rumble and get like a nice tip? Because I want you to thrive and like, you know, be able to like, you know, support your permaculture operations. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm, uh, I'm getting by, Sander. I, you know, I got chased off of Patreon. And so then I went to Substack, which is way better than Patreon. And uh, oh, you know, great. Based- I really like Ross Barkin. He's a writer I support on Substack. I'm a subscriber of his. Excellent. Yeah, maybe you should. Uh, I'll, I'll check him out. So, so yeah, things are. You know, the, the alternative media is still. You know, two steps forward, one step back, or maybe it's the other way around. Right. I mean, they're really cracking down. The censorship in the past uh, five years has just gone way off the charts, and so you're constantly trying to stay ahead of the censors. And and now, you know, for instance, Helen Bynisky, who is going to be on False Flag Weekly News with me tomorrow morning, has. It's had her hard drive and her computer simultaneously fail in a suspected hacking attack. She's a target because she used to work for Russia today, and now everything Russian is a target. And uh, so we're trying to raise money for her to replace her equipment and to retrieve her data. But she's just one example of the people getting targeted now. Our friend Nader Talabzada, 
may very well have been killed. Um, certainly, uh, Daria Dugan was killed in an assassination attempt apparently aimed at her father. Uh, and uh, Alexander Dugan, of course, is somebody that we met when we were in Iran. I had a really good conversation with him, and I had a it took a liking to him. And so when I saw this footage of, of him, you know, horrified to see his daughter blown up in a bomb that was intended for him, it really uh, bothered me. And it bothers me that they probably killed our friend Nader Talabzadeh as well. And frankly, Sander, you know, I, I think that when you talk about, you know, religion and activism, I think the Iranians who call the United States and its entire constellation of power the great Satan uh, are on the right track. And I think Alexander Dugan, who is essentially calling for worldwide resistance against this great Satan in order to create a space where people can be spiritual, because this whole Western culture is one big uh, anti-spirituality machine. So I think Dugan is on the right track as well. So maybe that's a, a topic we could uh, take up. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, I also um, just appreciated meeting him because at the time I I heard that he was Putin's favorite philosopher. And then when I heard that his daughter was tragically killed in a car bomb, I, I thought that, you know, it was obviously a tragedy. Um, we even shared a flight uh, out of Mashhad. So, um, uh Although I didn't really speak with him uh, in a, as as much as you did, you know, it sounds like you guys had sort of a bond. Um, yeah, not, we, we both were influenced by Rene Guénon. Oh, okay. I'm not sure who that is. He, he's the founder of the traditionalist movement in religious studies, and so he's he's a European who he was into Freemasonry and discovered that it was basically just black magic and satanic, and he realized that the deeper uh, spiritual traditions growing out of the ax axial age were the way to go. And so he ended up converting to Islam and living the rest of his life as a traditional Muslim and founding the traditionalist movement, which actually dominates much of the religious studies field in the academy today. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, René Guinon. Guinon. That's right. Okay, That's right. Ah, ouais. Je le comprends. <laughs> hey, très bien, tu parles français, alors on fait, on fait ah, yeah, ouais, ouais, ouais. No, come on, Sandra, let's, let's stick with the English here. Assalamualaikum. Uh, another thing, another thing I like about you, Kevin, is I used to say, like a white boy, I used to say, Assalamualaikum. To people and think I was like super multi multicultural, but then you kind of broke it down and you were like, no, it's actually it's not assalam alaikum, it's assalam alaikum, yeah, or even assalamu alaikum. You can put a little u on that salami. Ooh, assalam. Salami is better with a little u on it. Mm, <laughs> but seriously, getting back to New Horizon, like I, New I know Horizon, yeah. Well, if you look at NewYorkMegaphone.com, I also published a um, a eulogy. For our dear friend, the late great Nader Talabzada. Yeah, I saw uh, that. That was great. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, and in fact, um, other people inside DSA want wanted to republish it or reformat it and stuff. But cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting the overlap sort of between the idealists in the West, uh, such as some of these socialists that you're hanging out with now, who are you know, coming out of, of kind of a left-wing 
tradition. And, and then the uh, activists in Iran and now, I guess, Russia, too, who are advocating kind of a, relearn, a return to, if not theocracy, but rather a sort of religious-centered way of life um, and a kind of national-slash-religious-centered way of life, which is really the opposite of what the left has traditionally advocated. And so, you, you know, you're kind of straddling. I mean, I am, too, a little bit, but, but you're, you know, really sort of straddling both worlds. Like when you go to, to Meshad and you come home and hang out with the Democratic Socialists, um, you're really kind of uh, on these two different levels of a religion being applied to make making the world better. And I, I wonder what, you know, what are your, reflection, or your reflections on that? that, that you well, know, let me just tell you where my article went well, about Neder Talabzadeh. And I, I focused on his own film, The Messiah, and how similar it is to my own interest in the historical Jesus, um, a Jesus that was um, very different from the Jesus I was raised to believe was um, God or was part of the, the Trinity and, you know, ra- being raised Catholic. I kind of have a, a, a keen interest in, in really finding out who Jesus actually was and what is verifiable, what is historical. So I've been looking at uh, books like Binding the Strong Man by Ched Myers, uh, a, a book I was kind of urged to read by studying a little bit with uh, Father John Deere, who's a big advocate of nonviolence, Gandhi and Jesus. Um, Deere is actually ex-Jesuit. So, um, you know, People that freak out about Jesuits will freak out about him, I'm sure. But he's an ex-Jesuit because he just basically was just too much of a free spirit and too um, interested in the radical, nonviolent Jesus. So he's still a Catholic priest, though. He lives in California. So he recommended this book, Binding the Strongman, which is actually a Marxist hermeneutics of the Gospel of Mark, which says, you know, that Jesus was really about a, creating a campaign, a, a social movement, um, it, you know, that the Gospels are really the first time that, um, that, that world history had a kind of a history from below. You know, we had never had a story of like a social movement of the poor um, that, that, you know, coming from below to resist empire using not the same old Old Testament uh, swords and, and bows and arrows, but uh, using some using God, using something, using joy and eating together and sharing and uh, healing each other and greater things you shall do. You know, when Jesus said said that, uh, it really turns me on that that he was trying to create a movement that was stronger than himself. He was trying to create leaders and people that were stronger than himself, that were even more gifted than himself. Do you realize that? It's kind of like. It's one of those neglected things that's in the late parts of the Gospel of John. Greater things you shall do than me. You know, basically, he's, he's telling people, you, you've got the power. So this is very different from the deification of Jesus, which Nadar Talabzeda in his film, he, he says, you know, Jesus was miraculous, was mystical, was very spiritual, but was locking horns with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the lawyers of the temple. Um, and uh, and then later, the people or the, the, the Romans, mostly, I think, the Roman soldiers uh, of Jesus's fan base kind of deified him and tried to make him into a god. And so uh, Nader's got this interesting analysis, which is consistent with the Islamic worldview that that Jesus was a great prophet, one of the greatest of history, but 
Um, the whole deification thing was kind of artificial. Now, there's this other guy. Um, oh, my Lord, I can't. Uh, it's getting a little late here for me. But um, the guy who um, there's this other scholar who was an evangelical and he's an atheist now. And uh, I have to actually look at my own article to remember his name. Um, well, yeah, that's that's legitimate. Having to yeah, okay. Well, maybe, maybe right. you are getting old soon. No, here, here we go. <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> okay. So, so, yeah, go ahead. What's his name? Okay, this other scholar, Bart Ehrman, uh, who's a pretty famous mainstream historical Jesus guy, former evangelical, now kind of more of an agnostic. Bart Ehrman says, like, you know, you got this stuff about I am God or God and I are one and, um, you know, Jesus saying all this stuff about I am the way and the truth and the life, but it's only in the Gospel of John. And the really the most historical gospel is Mark, which came first. Um, and it's kind of like it's a really good question. Like if that is historically accurate, that Jesus proclaimed an exclusive um, you know, divinity, a divinity that was exclusionary. Uh, you know, if that's true, then why is it in gospel, the Gospel of John, which was written in probably, you know, around 85 uh, A.D.? I don't know if I should use A.D. or C.E. or whatever. You know what I mean? AD, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 85 uh, or 90 um, C.E. Uh, while Mark was, you know, a lot earlier. So it's kind of like, that's that's a pretty major quote to leave out of an early gospel, uh, you know, the Q, to leave it out of the Q source or the uh, out of Luke or Matthew or Mark, you know. So that's a really good question. So if you talk to super um, doctrinaire evangelical Christians, they tend to go right away to that that quotation from, from John that Jesus said, well, I am the way and the truth and the life, and that there is no path of the Father but through me. And then, you you know, I, it never works, but I usually say, like, yeah, but that's kind of really late. That's that from the last gospel that was written, that was accepted into the canon. And uh, anyway, and I just I I get really turned on by thinking of Jesus in a different way and thinking of Jesus as more of a social activist. And and um, and his divinity is is. It's it's not like I'm totally rejecting the divinity, but I want to see it in a different way, and I want to see it as something that we can all be and have a part of. It's more like a, a kind of a Buddhist, Islamic, Christian um, sense of of cosmic divinity that like that that Jesus was certainly gifted, um, and that you know uh, certainly miraculous and certainly a healer. But I think like just just. You know, I think the healing properties that he had were were talents that we could foster, like just stopping and talking to homeless people that are down on the on the on the sidewalk and they can't get up. And just by talking, stopping and talking to them, getting their names, uh, hearing their story, asking for their story, asking them questions. You know, now that I've been sober for like 10 years, I also will just say, hey, do you have problems with drugs and alcohol or is drugs and alcohol a part of your story? And it usually is, you know, shocker. And then, you know, you, you can talk about that if they want to talk about that. And so I just think of Jesus um, going to the guy that was on the mat and he couldn't. He was like at the pool of Bethesda and he couldn't get up. 
and he could just couldn't get up. He was begging and he was down and he was probably full of resentments and uh, stories about the past um, that had gotten so, so his anger had, had overpowered him and it had become a sickness and a disease and it manifested it uh, somatically into his body. And that um, and Jesus somehow saw that and somehow spent the time and somehow gave him a word, um, a word of inviting him to let go of the past and try on a new future, see himself in a new future, see himself, you know, and, and give him the power to, like, do it himself, you know. So I don't think it was like some sort of, like, you know, super touch. Ah! It was more like. Jesus like was able to find a switch in the guy's psychology and, you know, and gently uh, flick the, a switch that said you can get up and you can walk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you mentioned that line about uh, you, you'll all, you know, do you'll, you can do more than me or uh, greater, yeah, greater things you shall do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, actually, I was kind of thought that, too. I, I did read the Gospels straight through uh, when I was in France once and was really moved by them. And uh, it did occur to me that it seemed like he was teaching his way of being to the people around him and that that's what it was really all about. It, was, you know, it wasn't about worshiping him. It was about actually learning from him. And I think that actually looks to me like that's very much the heart of the Christian tradition, uh, you know, the mystical tradition, and the tradition of at least some of the saints, that these are people who have, in some sense, kind of learned from Jesus and become a bit like him. And, you know, from a mystical perspective, that involves uh, approaching, getting closer to God, and sometimes sort of tasting the reality of God, and having these experiences where people lose their sense of separation from God. And when that happens, quite often miracles break out. Healing is often one of those miracles. And we see this in the tradition of the saints of Christianity and of Islam. That's what I did my dissertation on was uh, Sufism. And it's just a common thing cross-culturally. We see this also with the Hindu and Buddhist saints and so on, that, that the, the people who are really uh, devoted to raising their energy level are typically there will be a stage where various kinds of miracles and paranormal phenomena break out around them. And the teachers all say, don't get hung up on that. They say, especially don't get hung up on paranormal powers. Like if you find yourself levitating, you know, don't think that you're, you're the world's greatest levitator <laughs> or you know, be <laughs> proud of yourself for it or whatever, but, but just let go of it. And because the whole thing, it's all about letting go, you know, letting go of, of the self uh, or of what we think of it, letting go of the contents of the self so that we can just, experience the pure selfness that is there when all the contents are gone. And that pure selfness is a reflection of this infinite selfness of God. And so we're getting, then we can go into, in, into communion with God a little bit. When we do that. And this is the, basically the path that's been taught by the great mystics of all the traditions, as far as I can tell. Yeah. And, and so people who've experienced that and some of them then do become healers and you know, healers of the world, people, you know, doing good, uh, to to the world, um, some is sort of more you know more blatantly and, and you know ex extremely than others, but I, I think that's sort of what Jesus exemplifies, and the best of the Christian tradition we see that, but we we see something pretty similar among uh, certain saints and holy people in other traditions as well, 
and and that you know, but again, that that leads me back to this question of, you know, is you know, is it possible to get this perspective across in this materialistic, uh, secular, progressivist West that seems to want to break down all spiritual and and religious cultures and and destroy them really? And you know, is it, do we almost need to stand up against that and join people like Alexander Dugan and the uh, supreme leader of Iran in resisting what seems to be almost like the you know the the Dajjal or Antichrist or the you know the great Satan of the end times. I don't know. I, I got to say though, I, I really wanted to like Dugan, and every time I try to learn more about him, it, there's nothing there for me in, in Dugan's philosophy. Um, uh, and then when he became Alexander Putin's favorite philosopher, uh, that's, but that, I don't think that's true. That's that's I, I think they're going after him because not so much because of his influence in Russia, which has actually been exaggerated, but his influence in the West, because there are a lot of people who are agreeing with him that we should struggle for a world that is, you know, a, a world of pluralism where people can be themselves, where they're not being forced to essentially have their cultures destroyed and the culture of secular materialist Western American liberalism forced down their throats. I hate to tell you you're wrong, Kevin, because I respect your intellect so much, but guess what happens? Um, Oh, wait. I'm guessing. I'm trying to guess. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, 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 if you type in who is Alexander Putin's favorite philosopher, I forgot that his first name is not Alexander, it's Vladimir. So I, I, it, it, <laughs> what comes up is um, is Dugan's name. But that's Google. That's that's Google because I put I miss I miss Googled it. Sorry. Um, so if you type in who is Putin's favorite philosopher, there's a really messed up little uh, a very interesting character named Ivan Ilyin, who was. Mm-hmm neo-fascist and didn't believe Ukraine was its own country. And, uh, but, um, yeah, I'm trying to find out what's my source of my belief of thinking that Dugan was Putin's favorite philosopher. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that has been bruited about in the West and it's just one of those many, many pieces of extreme misinformation that I, I think basically everything you see in the mainstream media about Russia, about Ukraine these days, is like probably a lot more distorted, extreme, hateful, and satanic than what you would be reading in Der Sturmer about Jews under Hitler. He is called a sinister ideologue. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, anyway. I, think, I think Putin is the truth teller who's telling us the truth about the fact that we here in the West, and specifically we Americans, are running the empire of lies. Do you mean to say Putin or Dugan? Uh, Putin. But Putin. Dugan is based, I, think, I think Putin is realizing this at a political level, uh, and Dugan has taken a somewhat more sort of extreme and esoteric approach to it on a philosophical level. And they, you know, in that sense, they're both sort of Russian nationalists who are part of Russia's return to Christianity and spirituality at their, in their own ways. But I, I, I think they probably disagree on a lot of things, too. And as I recall, there have been huge conflicts between, between them, and they don't have any direct personal contact. And so on. so all, all of this Dugan's running Putin, Dugan's Putin training is, is nonsense. But Dugan is getting more and more popular in the West, and that's why the Dugan is killing. 
but we have to end the show. Thank you so much, uh, Sander Hicks. It's always good talking with you. Great, Kevin. Great talking to you, brother. Peace be uh, with you. Uh, Love you. Okay. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum assalam. That's Sander Hicks. Uh, I'm Kevin Barrett here of TripJihad.com. You've been listening to Revolution.